have your Bible this morning, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. You can uh, follow along in your Bible or follow along in you version. And uh, while you're getting there, uh, if you were to think about your favorite movies or your favorite books, you probably have your, your favorite characters, you probably have your favorite type of genre, you probably have these things that stand out to you that make these things your favorite books, your favorite movies. For me, my favorite type of story is a life changed. And what I mean by that is I love a good story where at the beginning of the story, you just absolutely despise the character, right? Like you just, you're reading about him or you're watching a movie and you're like, man, this person is just a jerk. Like I, I, man, I can't root for this person. But then throughout the story, as things go along, you see a change. You see a change in the way they live. You see a change in the way they act. And by the end of the book or the movie or a series, you think, this is one of my favorite characters. Just because I, I love how their life has changed so drastically. Man, I think of one of my favorite books, The Wind in the Willows, and I think about Mr. Toad who has got this need for speed and his need for speed gets him in the trouble and throughout the book, you, just, he, you see, he realizes, man, all the times I didn't, you know, I had great friends and I didn't take advantage of, of spending time with my friends and, and loving my friends and, and he learns throughout the book what his mistakes were. Uh, I think of movies and I, of course, this would be the time when I've got to tell you about my uh, nerdiness here. I love Marvel movies. They're some of my favorite. One of my favorites is the, the first one on the block of these, these what we call the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe and that's Iron Man. I love the story of Iron Man. Tony Stark, when you first meet Tony Stark, he's a jerk, right? Like he only cares about money. He only cares about his, you know, his possessions. He's a, a weapons monger, you know? He's uh, just all about himself. But when you go through that first movie, you start to see him care about others. You start to see him putting others first. And throughout this whole series, he starts to become more of the hero who is willing to sacrifice uh, for the good of all the people. And then as we see the MCU progress, we see how he's willing to do whatever it takes to, to put others first. And so I just love stories where lives are changed. And here's the thing about these lives that are changed it's done through process, right? Like it's done through process. They don't just one day all of a sudden wake up and change. No, a lot of times it's a process. It's a, a build. They, they have something happen and slowly but surely you see them become the person that they're supposed to be. You see the hero they're supposed to be or you see the lesson that they're supposed to learn and it, it comes through circumstance. It comes through trials. It comes through all these different things. They change their life, but there's a process. There's a work to it. It's not just done overnight. Last week, we started a new series called Fail Forward, and the first thing we talked about in this series is this idea that we don't have to let sin be our master anymore. We don't have to let sin control us, dominate us, rule over us. No, we, when we die to sin, when we die to that life and we are alive in Christ, we don't have to let sin be in control of us. Instead, we now have the opportunity to fight against it. We have the opportunity to say, I'm not going to live this lifestyle anymore. 
We're no longer under control. And yes, the sinful nature is there. And yes, there are going to be those moments we fall. But guess what? We get to decide how we're going to respond to sin. We get to decide. We can say, no, I'm not going to stand in the middle of this temptation. If this temptation is something that I struggle with, I'm going to go do something else. I'm going to get away from it. I'm going to get accountability. I'm going to get help if I need it. I'm going to do whatever it takes to not let sin be my master. And I'm going to use my body rather for good to bring God glory. And so that's the realization when it comes to failure. It starts with realizing that we don't have to let sin control us. And so in Philippians chapter 3, Paul is going to give us the next step. Once we realize that we don't have to let sin be in control of us, now we realize that we start working towards something. We start, wor- or we start working towards something. And I don't mean work like, hey, we've got to go and do these works. I mean, we start trying to grow closer to God. And in Philippians chapter 3, we read Paul's story. We read Paul's story and we read all of these things that, that Paul had to his credit and we see just how important those things were to Paul when you look at the overall scheme of his life. And we can learn a lot from what Paul's life looked like and where Paul's life was when he wrote this in Philippians 3. And just kind of like what we did last week, we're going to talk about some things that I think would be important for us to remember And so, starting in Philippians chapter 3, we're going to start in the first three verses, and I think the first thing we need to remember right off the bat is that we are to put no confidence in the flesh. We are to put no confidence in the flesh. What does Paul say in the first couple of verses? He says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. So right off the bat, Paul gives us something here that we need very much to remember. He's telling them, uh, he says, further. This is him, continue a thought, starting a new thought. And he's saying, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Man, the church at Philippi, they needed a reminder constantly, just like we all need a reminder constantly to rejoice in the Lord. And I don't know about you, sometimes life is hard, right? Like sometimes life is just difficult and things are tough and things seem to, man, I thought things were going well and then something happens and there's a hiccup. Sometimes life is difficult, but even in the midst of difficulties, we should rejoice, We should rejoice in the Lord for his love, for his grace, for his mercy, for all the things he has done for us. And think about Paul when he says, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Paul's in prison. Paul's in prison as he's writing to them saying, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. Man, he's an optimist. He's, he's one of those guys who are like, man, you are too happy, Paul. You're, you're sitting in prison and you're saying rejoice, but he knew that no matter what happened, no matter what trials he was facing, no matter the situation he was in, he had reason to rejoice. And then he says, it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it's a safeguard for you. And those are the things that he says in verse 2. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Well, He uses pretty strong language here to talk about a group of people. He says, watch out for these dogs. You see, in ancient Palestine, the Jews had a name for the Gentiles, and that was dog. They thought of them as nasty, 
people. They didn't want to be around him. They hated the Gentiles. They called them dogs. Now, and here's the thing to remember. In ancient Palestine, dogs are not as we think of dogs. We think a lot of times as our domesticated animals, right? Like when I think of dogs, I think of my sweet little puppy. Sweet, but he, he likes to fool people. My, my little puppy, Ollie. He's sweet when you see him, but he's crazy when you're not around, I'm telling you. I think of our dog, Lily. She, she's the same way. Yeah, no, we love him, but that's... That's what we think of when we think of dogs, but that wasn't the case in ancient Palestine. No, dogs were vicious. They were pack animals. They would do whatever they had to to get food. Jesus uses them as a metaphor in Matthew 7, 6, when he's talking about uh, do not judge people. In Matthew 7, 6, he says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. They're vicious animals in ancient Palestine. And now he's using this, Paul is, and he flips it on his head where Jews would call Gentiles this. He is now calling these Jews dogs. He's calling them dogs and evildoers. Really what they are, these Jews, they were false teachers. They were going from church to church to church trying to undo everything that the apostles were doing. They were uh, seeing all these different Gentiles converting to Christianity and the Jews were going from place to place to place spreading, uh, you know, teaching false things, telling them, hey, you should get out of that and come back to Judaism or you should come to Judaism. They were teaching Uh, wrong things. They were teaching wrong doctrine, and they were trying to undo everything that the apostles had started to do. You know, it's funny, in Matthew chapter 23, 15, before we start seeing all these Gentiles uh, coming to the faith, listen to what Jesus says about the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. In Matthew, uh, Matthew 23, 15, he says this, "'Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees,' You hypocrites, you travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Man, those are strong words that Jesus uses, and that's what they were doing. They were going from place to place trying to take people away from the gospel and bring them back into something that was, was false, was wrong. And Paul mentions this in Galatians chapter 1. 7 through 9, he says, Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. And so Paul is saying here, you need to watch out for these dogs. You need to watch out for these evildoers. They are spreading lies. They are spreading false gospels. You need to watch out for them. Be prepared. Be on guard against what they teach. And man, if there's ever a time, then we need to think about this. We need to think about this today. Man, I've said it once and I'll say it again. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you study because if their teaching is false, you will be led astray. Be careful who it is you listen to. Make sure that the people you listen to are studying the word and they're, they're strong in their doctrine and that it's not just false teaching. Be careful who you listen to. And he tells them that. Be careful. Watch out for these dogs, these evildoers, these mutilators of the flesh. And then in verse 3, he says this. He says, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in in the flesh. 
So why does Paul say this, we who are the circumcision? Well, this goes back to the end of verse 2, those mutilators of the flesh. One of the things that these Jews were teaching was that it was faith plus works. It was faith plus works. It wasn't just having faith in Jesus Christ that saved you. No, you also needed to be circumcised. You needed to uh, be physically circumcised if you wanted to become a believer. And we know that that's not true. In Acts, in Acts uh, when they're talking to the uh, council at Jerusalem, they say, hey, you don't need to be circumcised. We would just encourage you to, to follow these things, but you don't need to be circumcised. And yet that's what people were going around teaching. You have to be circumcised as well. And so why does he call them mutilators of the flesh? Well, here's the problem. These Jews were telling people, hey, you need to be circumcised. But guess what? They weren't living the way they were supposed to be. Now, you see, physical circumcision might have been a, a sign of the covenant, but what it was also a sign of was a spiritual circumcision, a circumcision of the heart. In Titus chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, it says, For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. And so really what they needed was circumcision of the heart. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, it tells us, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants, so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 11, it says, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. So really all these people were were mutilators of the flesh. They were going around and they were saying, you need to be circumcised, when really their hearts weren't even in it. They weren't circumcised in the heart. They weren't circumcised. God hadn't come into their hearts and, and worked in their hearts. They were just refusing to believe in the Son of God and they were refusing to believe. And so Paul says, we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We are the circumcision. It doesn't matter if we're physically circumcised or not. What matters is what's in our heart. What matters is are we observing the law? Are we doing the things that we're supposed to be doing? Because you Jews are not. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 2, 25 through 29. He says, circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. So then, if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, Will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. A person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God." And so really, physical circumcision has no value if your heart has not been changed, if your heart is not where it needs to be. And so Paul is saying, these people, they may not be physically circumcised, but guess what? They follow the law. They follow what they're supposed to do. You may have the law, you may have circumcision, but you are not living the way you should be. And so he says, do not put our confidence in the flesh. 
Man, that's something that we need to think. Don't put your confidence in the flesh. What does that mean for us today? Do not put your confidence in your flesh. Well, who's he writing to? He's writing, talking about these Jews who put confidence in everything else. I've been circumcised. I'm a Pharisee. I'm a religious leader. I know the law inside and out. I'm perfect when it comes to the law. I know all of these things. Those were the things that they put their stock in. Those were the things that they put their worth in, their value in. Those were the things that were important to them. How do we do the same thing today? Oh, I've got a bunch of achievements. I've got a bunch of success. I'm wealthy. I have all this power and all these things. I've got all these nice possessions. I've got all of these things. Look at me. And we put so much confidence in things other than putting our confidence in Jesus Christ. Our confidence is in how much money we've accumulated, how many achievements we have. And all those things don't really matter if we don't have Jesus. They don't matter. All the, the, the degrees on the walls, all those things, they don't matter if you don't have Jesus. And so for these religious leaders, they had all of these credentials, all of these things to boast about, and yet... They're missing the point of everything. They're putting their confidence in the flesh. And Paul says, we serve God by his spirit. We boast in Christ Jesus. We don't put confidence in the flesh, and we should be the same way. And don't put confidence in achievements. Don't put confidence in all the things that you've done. Don't put confidence in these things. If you're going to boast, boast in Jesus Christ. And why is that? Well, I think that's the next thing that Paul tells us. In Philippians 3, 4 through 11, he wants us to know this. Nothing compares to knowing Christ. Nothing compares to knowing Christ. Listen to what Paul says in verse 4. He says, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Don't put any confidence in the flesh, but I myself, I have reasons for such confidence. He says, If anyone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul has all of these reasons that we're about to see that he could be able to say, I have reason to put confidence in the flesh. I can look back at all of these things and say, I have every reason to boast in the flesh. So what does he say? Well, the first thing he says in verse 5 is this. He says, Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So Paul has reasons to boast in the flesh. And what are those reasons? Well, the first reason is circumcised. And he was circumcised on the eighth day. This was according to the law. He was to anybody who was um, uh, eight days old must be circumcised. It says in Genesis 17:12, For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household, are bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. So everybody, every boy, eight days old, had to be circumcised. Paul was. Then he says that he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. He was a true blue Hebrew Jew. That's what I'll say. He was, a, uh, he was of the nation of Israel. Second Corinthians 11.22, Paul says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. He has those credentials. Then it says that he was of the tribe of Benjamin. Why is this important? Why is this important? Well, 1 Samuel 9, verses 1 and 2, it says this. There was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abel, the son of Zerah, 
the son of Bacharath, the son of Aphath of Benjamin. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. Paul was part of the same tribe in which we see the first king of Israel. He comes from an important tribe, an important line. And he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Many believe when he says he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, what he's saying is he was one of the few who actually could read and speak Hebrew. A lot of Jews had given that up, no longer speaking uh, Hebrew. He said that he was a Pharisee. In regard to the law of Pharisee, a Pharisee was the top of the top. If you wanted to be a religious leader, Pharisees were the top of the top. That's what you worked for. That's what you strived for. That's like, you know, the CEOs, like you want to be a CEO. That's, that's what the Pharisees were. They were the upper echelon of the religious leaders in the law. And he was a Pharisee. As for his zeal, he persecuted the church. That was his mission. That was his goal. That was his desire. He wanted to fulfill his mission. His mission was to take down this, this body of believers who had started making trouble for the Jews, and that was his desire, to persecute the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Man, Paul knew the law inside and out. He studied under Gamaliel, who was the top Jewish scholar of the time. He was well-educated. He knew the law inside and out, and he felt that he did everything according to the law. And so all of these things, you could think, man, he was really the the cream of the crop. He had all of these credentials, all of these things that he could easily say, look, look at all I've accomplished. Look at my life. Look at everything about me screams important. It screams successful. It screams reasons to be boastful in the flesh. It screams all of these things. But what does he say in verse 7? He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. All of these things, whatever I consider gains to me, these things that were important, these things were important in the flesh, these things are all now considered a loss for the sake of Christ. This is a phrase that Paul uses often, this word sake, it means for the benefit of, and he's doing all of these things so that Christ would be or that people would witness Christ, that people would see Christ and and his actions and the things that he would do. In 2 Corinthians 12.10, he says, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. He also says in Philemon 1.6, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of of Christ. All of those things, none of those things matter anymore. What matters now is Christ. And everything I do is for Christ. And everything I do is to make Christ known, to make Christ famous. That, all those things before, those are a loss now for the sake of Christ. And then listen to what he says in verses 8 and 9. He says, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Man, 
What is more, I consider everything a loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. All of those things in the past, those don't matter anymore compared to knowing Christ Jesus. And this, this phrasing here, knowing Christ Jesus in the Greek, it actually is knowing Christ by experience experiencing Christ. I don't want to just know who Christ is. A lot of us are content doing that. I know who Jesus is, but I don't know Jesus. A lot of people are content just saying, I know who he is and not actually knowing him. And Paul's saying, it's all a loss. I can, all of these things, they don't matter when you compare them to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. In John 17, 3, it says, now this is eternal life that they know you, the one, or the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. All these things are lost compared to knowing Christ. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Man, to look at all of his accomplishments, to look at all those things and to say, I consider them garbage. The word here for garbage, some say it means dung. It's, it, it's just like dung. All these things that I've done, it, they, they don't even compare to knowing Christ. I consider them garbage and, and that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. A righteousness that comes not from my own, but by Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we may become the righteousness of God. That's the righteousness that Paul wanted. And how do we get this? Well, it comes through faith. He says, which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And this is what he wanted. He wanted to know Jesus by experience. He wanted to experience Christ. He didn't just want to know who he was. He wanted to know him deeply, intimately. How so? Well, he tells us in verses 10 and 11. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. He wanted to know him through the power of the resurrection. And man, we've experienced that in our lives. And I hope you realize that when we died to Christ, we rose again with him. We experienced the power of resurrection and we also do that through the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 10 through 11, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. We can experience the power of his resurrection, and that's what Paul says. He wants to experience the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. And oh boy, let me tell you, did Paul experience suffering. And listen to what happens in Acts when you first see him called. In Acts 9.16, Jesus says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. What a calling, right? Like, hey, guess what? I'm going to call this person to this, and man, they're going to suffer for my name. Wow, what a calling. And guess what? Even he says in Romans 8.36, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep, be, or sheep to be slaughtered. And Paul will experience suffering. 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 27, listen to what Paul says. He says, I have worked much harder, 
been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Remember, this is the guy at the beginning of chapter 3 said, Rejoice in the Lord. And listen to what he says here. I've been through all of these things. I've been beaten. I've been stoned. I've been shipwrecked. I've been hungry. I've been naked and cold. I have all these things happen to me. And this is what he asked for. I want to know the power of his resurrection and participations in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. We don't think about this too often because how often do we ask God, help us to, to know you through not just the power of your resurrection, but through your suffering. We don't think that. We don't want that. We don't want to suffer. But here's the truth. If you follow Jesus, sometimes suffering comes. It's true. And it may not be like we see it in other parts of the world where people are literally dying for their faith each and every day, but that doesn't mean that persecution is not around here. That doesn't mean that we don't face suffering or trials or difficulties. And sometimes when we follow Jesus, that will come along with it. But this is how much Paul wanted to know Jesus. And so all of these things, all these reasons to boast, all these reasons to, to celebrate in the flesh, all of these things were garbage compared to knowing Christ Jesus. And for us, that's what we need to remember. Nothing compares to knowing Jesus. But the world will tell us that, will it? Man, all these other things are so much better than knowing Jesus. Man, you could easily get hooked on this. This is better than knowing Jesus. You can start believing this. This is better than knowing Jesus. You can have all of this wealth. This is better than knowing Jesus. You can have all of these things. It's better than knowing Jesus. All these things you can have, they're better than knowing Jesus. But I'm here to tell you this morning, nothing is better than knowing Jesus. Paul tells us nothing compares to knowing Jesus. And so the question is, what are you putting in front of Jesus? What are you making more important than knowing Jesus in your life? Is it the things that you have? Is it the successes that you've had? Is it the credentials that you have? Because none of those things matter compared to knowing Jesus. I'm sorry to tell you. The things that you own, those don't matter compared to knowing Jesus. Your position at work, it doesn't matter compared to knowing Jesus. And those things may not be bad things, but guess what? When on the scale of this and knowing Jesus, nothing compares to knowing Jesus. What are we putting in front of knowing Jesus? Then Paul continues in verses 12 through 16. And he says, really what we need to remember is we need to press on. We need to press on. And this is what he says in verse 12 and 13. He says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He says, not that I've already obtained all this or have arrived at my goal, 
Paul wants them to know, hey, I am not where I want to be yet. I have not yet reached the goal. I've not obtained all of this. I still have a lot left to do. I have a lot left or a lot of time left to, to do these things. I still got to work on this. He hasn't obtained this. Paul, what he's saying here is that I'm not perfect. I haven't obtained all of these things yet. I keep pressing on. I keep trying to do what I need to do. And guess what? He would fall. He would sin. He would make mistakes. He himself said, every time I want to do what is right, I end up doing what is wrong. Paul stumbled often. But guess what? Here Paul is saying, I have not obtained all of this or have arrived at my goal. But I'm going to press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I think sometimes we have the mindset that we're there, right? Like, oh, I, I became a believer and I read my Bible for a little bit and now I'm there. I, I know everything. I'm already where I need to be. I'm, I've got everything figured out. And we just know that's not the truth. But sometimes we tell ourselves that. I think of two churches in Revelation. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. In Revelation 3.17, when talking about the church at Laodicea, he says, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Man, strong words used in Revelation. And we need to realize this this morning. We have not obtained everything and we have not reached where we need to be and we still need to press on just like Paul. And I think the problem is sometimes that we, we look at this and we think that we like to compare where we're at, right? Think about this. You, maybe you do it. I know that I've been uh, guilty of doing this from time to time to look at somebody else's walk and think, man, they're so much farther along than me. They're in such a better place than me. They're doing so much more than me. Man, they are just, every bit of their walk is just better than mine. We fall to that sometimes. Man, we don't need to compare our walk with others. No, we need to just press on and continue to grow and continue to work towards this goal. And what is this goal? And that is taking hold of which Christ Jesus has took, or has took hold of us. And in verse 13 and 14, he says this. He says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And I, I press on to take hold. And here's the thing. He says that I, I forget what's behind I forget what is behind and I move ahead. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize. That's an important phrase that Paul uses there. I, I forget what is behind. You know, Paul looks at all the things that he did in the past and he learns from those things and he grows from those things. But guess what? He leaves those things where they're at. He leaves those things where they're at. Those things are in the past. And so he learns from them, he grows from them, and he moves on and he moves forward, forgetting what is in the past, forgetting those things. And I think Paul's writing this as a guy who struggled with looking at his past. You know, we don't know what the thorn in his flesh was, but I believe the thorn in Paul's flesh was all of his past sin, all the past mistakes that he made. And yet he says, I, I forget what is behind 
and I move towards what is ahead. See, I believe there's value in taking our sins and taking our past and learning from them and growing from them, but I think too often we find ourselves shackled to our sins or in our past mistakes, and guess what happens when you shackle yourself to your mistakes? You don't move forward. You don't move forward, you don't press on, you don't go, because all you think about is your past mistakes. You're shackled to them, and they've already got you prisoner. And I hear it so often. I think about what I used to be, and it just breaks my heart, and I can't believe that I did that, and, and we, I, I just become stuck in it. I become stuck in it, and I just think, man, this is who I used to be, and all it does is it drives me crazy, that just means it's got its hold on you. You're in its shackles. No, you, you learn from those things. You grow from those things. But what do you do? You forget those things and you move forward. And you press on towards what is ahead. And what is ahead is this goal to win the prize. Paul here, knowing this athletic speak, this race, this idea of a race, moving forward, I press on so that I can win the goal, that I can hit the goal, that I can win the prize, which is heavenward in Christ Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And then in verses 15 and 16, he says this, All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. We need to press on. I think that's the third thing that Paul would want us to see. We need to press on. Life, spiritual life, our walk with Christ is not all done in a day. You don't figure out everything in a day. You don't get all your life together in a day. It is a daily journey. Every single day you learn. You learn from your mistakes and you move on and you grow closer to God. You read His Word. You pray. You get accountability. You talk with people every single day. You try to live a life of sanctification. And if you don't know what that means sanctification is this idea of being made holy each and every day you strive to be more holy than the day before and that's what paul did i didn't i haven't obtained all of this yet i haven't yet reached my goal but every single day what i do is i forget about what's happened and i run forward each and every day and that's why i love verse 16 only let us live up to what we have already attained if we have already given our lives to jesus then every single day we run the race hoping to get to the finish line and that finish line is the reward that is waiting for us in heaven each and every day we take hold and we try to do what God has called us to do and we live for Him. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it tells us this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How do we do this? How do we do this? How do we live a life of sanctification? How do we live each and every day for him? We fix our eyes on him. 
We fix our eyes on Jesus. He is, the, he is the thing that we set our eyes on. Each and every day we set our eyes on Jesus Christ. Every day we set our eyes on the one who died on the cross for us. Each and every day we set our eyes on the one who died and rose again. Every single day, if you want to live a life of faith, if you want to grow each and every day, it starts by fixing your eyes on him. Get in the habit of fixing your eyes on Jesus. First thing you do in the morning, what is it? What's the first thing you do each and every morning? And you may have a list of all these things that you do. But find time to get in the Word. Find time in the morning to pray, to fix your eyes on Him. What do you do throughout the day? What's your lunch habit look like? Find time to fix your eyes on Him. What do you do in the evening when you're at home? Find time to fix your eyes on Him. Each and every single day, fix your eyes on Him. That is what we do. We press on, forgetting. Don't let the sins of the past shackle you down and make you, its, make you a slave. Don't do that. Focus your eyes on Him and run every day towards Him. Paul had every single reason to boast in the flesh, to put confidence in the flesh. He had all the reasons, all the credentials, all these things, and none of these things compare to knowing Jesus, and that should be us every day. Nothing compares in our life to knowing Jesus Christ. And we need to focus our eyes on Him and press on. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as they do, I like this quote from Oswald Chambers. He says, no one enters into the experience of entire sanctification without going through a white funeral, the burial of the old life. And maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, man, that sounds good knowing Jesus, but I've never made that decision to follow him. Sanctification begins with that white funeral, the burial of the old life, saying goodbye. We talked about it last week, putting that old life to bed. It's over. It's done. And now we press on each and every day, focusing our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith each and every day. And guess what? We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. We're going to make mistakes each and every day. It happens. We are sinful people with sinful nature. But guess what? When we fall, when we sin, when we stumble, and we have a Savior who forgives. 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So maybe you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Him. If that's the case, you can do so today. And then if you're here and maybe you've just stumbled along and you've been thinking, this life is just too hard, I don't know what to do, focus your eyes on Him press on, forget what's behind, move forward, learn from your sins, grow from your sins, and then leave them there and continue on and strive for holiness, strive to be closer to Him, strive to know Him each and every day through experience. Don't just know who Jesus is, but actually know Jesus. There's a difference. And when you stumble, when you fall, give it to God. Turn to him, confess your sins. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So this morning, if you're here and you have a decision to make or you need to spend time in prayer, please do so as we're going to stand and we're going to sing.
find my rest and without you I fall apart you're the one that guides my heart Lord I need you oh I need you every hour I need you my one defense my righteousness oh God how I 